Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of River City Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Our mission is to awaken people to the transforming presence and power of God's love. To find out more, visit rivercitychurch.com and thanks for listening. Jesus, you're alive. If we leave with anything more deeply rooted and grounded in our hearts this morning, let it be that God the Father sent God the Son to become a man and save this world from the inside out. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that truth. In your name I pray. Amen. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to London, and um, I'm looking at you, Rose, because that's your hometown, our area. And I was uh, in a group of pastors, Jocelyn and I were in a group of pastors and couples, and uh, we didn't really know anyone else that was there. We weren't even exactly sure why we were there. We just felt like we were supposed to respond to this invitation. So I was sitting next to a guy, and it was actually this beautiful uh, picture of the larger church where we had like uh, churches more like River City there. We had churches that were a little more serious and solemn and liturgical than, than, than what you saw during worship here. We had churches that were uh, Catholic that were there. And I was sitting next to a Catholic priest, and I had no idea. I mean, I don't, I, confession, I don't know a lot of Catholic priests. So I was talking to him, and uh, he was sharing some information with me. He was telling me his name, and I was just asking him questions like I would anyone. And uh, someone said, you know, he wrote a book. And I said, oh, you wrote a book. That's great. And I was probably accidentally being condescending. I was like, hey, anybody read it? Ha <laughs> ha, you know, this is the whole like, elbow thing. <laughs> and we're <laughs> just trying to make conversation in a really cramped room with a lot of people I didn't know, okay? So uh, we, we get to the end of the conversation, and I walk out, and they're like, hey, this guy grabs me, and he goes, did you realize who you were sitting next to? And I go, yeah, I met him. He's cool. He, did you know he wrote a book? I'm proud of him, you know? And uh, he's a little guy. He's got his book out there. And uh, he goes, yeah, so that guy's kind of like the, if, if you're familiar with the name Rick Warren, maybe you're more familiar with like the Billy Graham, that's like the Rick Warren of the Catholic Church. He's bringing <laughs> spiritual renewal uh, to the Catholic Church through the Holy Spirit, and uh, he is kind of like the guy in the Catholic Church, and I thought, oh my gosh, what an idiot. I was totally like talking down to this guy, not talking down to him, but you know, I wasn't treating him with the respect and honor that maybe he needed, if I could have gone back and redid that conversation, I would have been asking him questions because obviously I had a lot to learn from this guy. Well, there's an encounter right after the resurrection that's uh, not quite as uh, silly as that, but uh, is, is very similar in that someone is uh, encountering Jesus and has no idea, okay? So we're in John 20, verses 11 through 18. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Okay? So I read this text many, many times in preparation for this message, and about the, I don't know, 17th or 18th time I read that, I thought, if I looked into a tomb, so we have a tomb back here, I don't know if you know, it's not a real tomb, there's no one in there, all right, but we have a tomb back here, and uh, if I looked in there, okay, if I looked in there, and two glowing angels were sitting and looking back to me and talking to me, and said, why are you crying? I don't think my next statement would be, because, right? Like, she just goes straight into 
Because it's like, well, what is she missing there? What's happening here? Who is this person and why is she responding this way? So there's quite a few Marys in the New Testament. There's quite a few Marys around Jesus, okay? One was his mom, all right, most famous, okay? But another one was a lady named Mary Magdalene. So if you look over in Luke 8, verses 1 through 3, after, Jesus, after this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. There you go. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So there were these wealthy businesswomen and women that were born into wealth that had encountered Jesus, been changed, and were now helping him and the disciples uh, financially, uh, supporting their ministry. All right, so maybe one explanation, and these are legitimate questions that I ask myself, maybe one explanation is, so Mary, this, this particular Mary had uh, seven demons in her at one time. Okay, happy Easter, right? So maybe for her, the supernatural side of things is not as much of a shock as it would be for me. I don't know, maybe she was a sorceress or something like that. We don't have all the details on her past, but for some reason, when she looked into a tomb and saw two angels, she did not respond the way I would, which would either be screaming and running or thank goodness you're here. I don't know what I would have done, right? Especially in that moment. But for her, she just sort of transitioned and just, can, like, talk back to them, just had a conversation, okay? So maybe that's what was going on, all right? So then, verse 14, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. So she talks to the angels. They say, why are you crying? And then she just turns to leave. She I'm crying because someone took Jesus' body, okay? So she turns to leave and uh, saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, Okay? It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Same question. Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Okay? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. All right? Mary, like, read the room. Okay? You got angels over here. You're just like, because. Okay? No questions for the angels. You turn around, resurrected Jesus. You go, listen, man, if you've hid Jesus, just let me know where he is. Like, your, her, her like, EQ, her emotional intelligence right now is not coming in very high. She's not reading the room very well. What's going on? How, does it, how can this happen? Now, they both ask her the same question. The angels ask her a question, and Jesus asked her a question. And this was a question. It was simple. Why are you crying? Okay. But the more I read this, I felt like maybe they were asking it this way. Why are you crying? Okay. It's like, hey, why are you crying? Oh, we don't understand what's going on with you. But I think they were maybe saying, the body's not here. We're two angels, clue number one, something's going down, okay? Heads up, seven up, like something's different than what you expected. And then she turns, 
And someone that she's been following for three years is standing right in front of her. And he goes, why are you crying? Mary wasn't reacting correctly because she was still responding to old information. But the new information was in front of her. Why couldn't she see it? All right, so we're going to go on a little journey here. You can take that slide down, Alexis. We're going to get there in just a second. So of all the comic book movies that have ever been made, uh, one of my favorite trilogies, and there have been thousands made in the last three weeks, okay? (laughs) But (laughs) my favorite three, or at least my favorite trilogy, was the Dark Knight trilogy that started in 2008, started created by this guy named uh, Christopher Nolan, and it's the story of really the origins, and then it's kind of the finale of Batman, okay? And if you're most critics, and if you're everyone else, you, you like the second one, okay? The Dark Knight, it's supposed to be one of the best action movies and comic book movies ever made, and I get it, like, I, I, I have it your way, okay? I've always liked the third one. Oh, strong, strong, Levi, all right? I've always liked the third one. Okay? The reason I like the third one is because there is so much imagery and metaphor in that movie about resurrection. Okay? But he also, the, the philosophy and the language in that movie is so moving. There have been so many lines in that film that have stuck with me. And I've like thought about them in everyday life. Okay? One of those lines is Batman has just been beaten. He's been broken completely by his arch nemesis, Bane. Okay? And Bane is like every, all the strength of Batman, but the complete opposite. And that where Batman is trying to fight to save the city, Bane is try, fighting with all his might to destroy the city. And he, he's got this self-righteous judgment uh, behind all that he's doing. He thinks he's doing the right thing. So Bane breaks Batman. He takes him to a prison that Bane had been in for many, many years. And the prison was underground. It's like a, it was almost like a metaphor for a tomb. So the prison's underground, but what makes the prison so unique is that all of the prisoners that are in this prison underground can look up and see sunlight because the, the top of the prison is open to the outside world. And there is an opportunity for every single prisoner to climb out to their freedom and no longer be enslaved and trapped and oppressed in this literal hellhole, okay? So when Bane is talking to Batman after he's broken him, he brings him to this prison, and he says this line. You can put it up there now. He says, I learned here that there can be no true despair without hope. There can be no true despair without hope. All right, you can take that scary picture down now. So in other words, unless there's the hope of making it out, you cannot experience true despair. Because it's right there. There's just a jump. When the guys climb up there, there's one jump. If they could make that jump, they could all climb to their freedom. And that's their hope. They can see the sun. They can see the outside world. But because none of them could make it out of there, because it was so close but so far, He's saying, this is where I learned the truth about despair. Mary gave her entire life. So when the guy shows up and says, the kingdom is here, and the guy who says the kingdom is here cast seven demons out of you while he's saying it, you're you're his. Like, 
You're tormented. You, you've, you have seven evil spirits in you. He cast them out. You belong to him now. You follow him with your life. You give your resources to him. You pack up for the journey and you travel wherever he goes and you share his message with whoever you can. And Jesus was trying to drop these clues. You know, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. Everybody that was following him bought into that. They just didn't know what that meant. They didn't understand Messiah King also meant Christ King, one who was going to be crucified, one who was going to be anointed through the passageway of death. So here she is. I'm like, why can't she realize what's going on? When we crash into our biggest discouragements, despair is a first responder. When we crash into our biggest discouragements, despair is a first responder. So here's what's interesting, guys. If you, if you crash into a major discouragement, major letdown in life, something that is, is now fighting for your hope, there's two first responders. One is Jesus, and he's there with a narrative, okay? But the next is the enemy. They both move toward discouragement. They are both first responders, and they are both going to give you a second narrative. At this point, Mary has fallen. The, the dark cloud of despair has fallen on her so quickly and so fast that she's talking to two angels, turns around, is standing face to face with Jesus, and doesn't even see it. She is out of it, right? Despair has enclosed her heart. And then, you have to read this carefully. Here's the next, here's the next thing that's recorded, right? You ever read your Bible? Have you ever tried to stop and just, you know, they, it wasn't written in English originally, but the, the interpreters and the translators have come in and they've added exclamation points where it would have been fitting because someone would have been emphasizing something. You ever tried to read it that way? If you're, if you're alone by yourself, it's really awkward, but it can also help. Like, why are you yelling in there, right? I tried to do that with this because she's standing there thinking Jesus is the gardener, saying, where'd you take Jesus? Okay, and he says, Mary, boom, broke the cloud, lifted, done. He screamed her name, and she snapped right out of it. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher, it's you. And then she runs toward him, obviously, here, because he says, don't cling to me, Jesus said. I don't think he was like, Mary, you're being a little needy right now. I think he's like, don't cling to me. In other words, not don't cling to me in that you can't touch me or you can't hug me or you can't embrace me. What he's saying there is, hold on, hold on. I just want you to know, it's not going to be like it was. Go and tell the disciples that I'm, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Okay? It's not going to be like it was. Like I'm going to ascend and I'm going to send the Spirit. I'm going to go to my Father, and I'm going to send the Spirit, and I'm going to be with you. In, I'm going to live in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be the way that it was, though. Everything has changed. Now, here's the last thing I want you to see. When Mary called Jesus the gardener, she was wrong. Jesus clearly was not the gardener. But she was also right. Why did John... So this is John's gospel. Why did he include that little tiny detail? Why not say, 
And she didn't know who he was, or she thought he was someone else, or she was confused about his appearance, or she was crying so hard, she didn't even look at... Why, why not say it that way? Why say, literally, she thought he was the gardener? I think John wants us to know that in one sense, he was. I think John is very carefully communicating something about the person and work of Jesus. So if you remember our first representatives, Adam and Eve, when this world was created, it was created in a garden, and they were placed there to cultivate, be fruitful, and multiply. And John is saying right here, post-resurrection, right next to the tomb, we look out. What is Jesus doing? Riding around on giant horses and just saying, I've, I've come to conquer. No, we look outside the tomb and what is Jesus doing? He's recreating. There was a garden at creation and the new gardener is recreating and cultivating the kingdom of God here on earth. Okay? He's cultivating it here on earth. Rick uh, Tim Keller said this, not Rick Warren. The resurrection was indeed a miraculous display of God's power. But we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of the world. Rather, it was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world. The world as God intended it to be. The resurrection means not merely that Christians have a hope for the future, but that they have a hope that comes from the future. The power by which God will finally destroy all suffering, evil, deformity, and death at the end of time has broken into history now and is available partially but substantially now. When we unite the risen Christ by faith, when we unite with him, that future power that is potent enough to remake the universe comes into us. Would you stand with me? What we're celebrating this morning is, it's about so many things. It's about salvation from sin, but it's also about recreation. It's about a new heaven and a new earth. It's about all the sad things coming untrue, as Keller also writes. Okay? We have a new gardener. We have a new gardener. And I don't know which narrative you walked in believing this morning, the narrative of despair, the narrative of hope, but my prayer has been that in these moments right now, Jesus would scream your name. Aaron. Ed. Todd. That he would scream your name. And when he did, when he does, the cloud would lift. And you would see him clearly as the one that is here to cultivate your soul and cultivate your life. The narrative, guys, is hope. The narrative is hope. And Paul says, hope never fails. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your hope. We thank you that hope never fails because you never fail. We worship you. We acknowledge you as the great gardener and cultivator of our lives and the great gardener and cultivator of your kingdom here on earth. In your name we pray. All of these things. Amen.
Good fight. 